if you're making the transition from AAA to Indies, you tend to wait until maybe later in your career before making the jump. But at 23 years old, Danny Weinbaum decided to make the leap from working on the infamous franchise at Sucker Punch to do something on his own just a few short years after joining the industry. However, he had a self-imposed time limit of two years. Weinbaum passed the two-year mark, but he was still making his game, Eastshade, and development would last a lot longer than two years. But Eastshade was the start of a core identity of its development team, also named after the game. This is the story of how it came to be and what it has planned for the future that doesn't even involve Eastshade itself. For Play Diaries, this is Press Play. I'm Johnny Cullen. Let's start. I am Danny Weinbaum, and I am the lead developer of Eastshade, the open world adventure game where he plays a traveling artist, and uh, lead developer of Eastshade Studios, um, which we are, that's the, what we call ourselves, we named ourselves after our, uh, our first big game there. At 16 years old, Danny Weinbaum had an idea of what he wanted to do for a living. He knew he wanted to do 3D at that stage of his life. And by 17, he wanted to do 3D in games thanks to what Valve had done with Half-Life 2. More specifically, he wanted to make environments. It was then he went to a small trade school in Seattle known as Future Poly, run at the time by people who were working at Guild Wars developer ArenaNet. Weinbaum didn't get a degree from there, as it was more or less teaching what the student needed to know. Now, to make a long story short, I ended up getting an internship at ArenaNet um, when I was, I was pretty young. I think I was like 19. Um, and then I worked at ArenaNet for a little, I think just shy of a year. Um, I worked at an outsourcing company called Future Poly, which was actually the, the school kind of turned into a, um, like outsourcing firm as well, which was, is kind of interesting. Um, and then after that, I worked at Sucker Punch on Infamous Second Son. Your In February 2013, Sucker Punch was one of the first developers to unveil a game for PlayStation 4 after revealing Infamous Second Son at the PlayStation meeting that unveiled the console. During the time the game was in development, Weinbaum was responsible for working on things such as buildings or fire hydrants as a 3D environment artist. But while he was there, there was an itch to do something else. When researching ahead of my chat with him, I read up interviews that gave the impression of restlessness when staying in the same place for a certain period of time. So, was he? Well, I don't know if I'm restless. I think I was I was more restless to make my own game. I don't know if I've um, necessarily felt restless well okay okay the honest truth is that um, when i first started in the industry i was told that you could actually make a lot more money by by moving around a lot than by staying in the same place because every year you know you get like a five percent raise or something it's it's like very mechanical you know very very seldom in a company do they like oh like you're you know it's it's hard to 
it's, you know, everyone kind of talks about their salaries and stuff, or at least if you don't, then people will hear about it. So I think that companies really try to keep it very like systematic about how the raises come. And if you start really low, which I did, cause I started as an intern, then it's kind of hard to like work your way up to a more competitive salary. So you end up switching around a lot. Um, so that was one of the reasons that I, I was, uh, I made my first move. And then after that, uh, at future poly, the, the work was just kind of, um, dying down. So, um, and then I'll, I also just had that opportunity to work at Sucker Punch, which just seemed like a really cool company and a cool opportunity. So um, I, I wasn't really restless in the sense that like um, I just, I, you know, wanted to do something else or anything like that. Um, yeah. So that, that's why I ended up moving between the, the companies anyway. You are not in control. After working on Infamous Second Son, Weinbaum would leave Sucker Punch just as the studio was not only getting set to release Second Son and prequel Infamous First Light a few months later, but start plans on a new IP that we now know as the impending June 26th release, as things stand, of Ghost of Tsushima. At that stage, he was 23 years old, and four years after first starting out in the industry. But even then, by that stage, he knew he wanted to make his own game. I had been saving my money, like, really, really... I always knew that I wanted to make my own game and I always assumed that nobody was just going to give me a big pile of money to do it. And I always assumed that I would need a big pile of money to do it. I actually thought that I'd have to hire people and stuff. Um, cause you know, when I, at that time, it just seemed like it would be really hard to make something substantial with a really small team. But then I started seeing, um, you know, certain indie games have, you know, be pretty, pretty ambitious made by very small teams. And that really, it inspired me and excited me and also made me a little bit like jealous and competitive you know like wow I feel like I could be doing that and I had been saving all this money and it was completely insubstantial amount for actually like you know hiring people Um, but it was pretty substantial for if I was just you know see how long I could go without a job sort of thing and how how much work could I do myself and so I had the savings I probably by that point had enough savings for about four years um, without without a job so and I had been working on what would eventually become E-Shade at home. It, it wasn't anything like E-Shade. I'd just been making stuff at home. And I was staying up until like four in the morning every night, like working on this stuff. I was so excited about it. And then I was like, man, I, you know, I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't do both anymore. I was too excited about what I was doing at home. And, um, you know, staying up that late obviously is not very conducive to, <laughs> you know, getting, getting into work uh, rested and all that. So I decided that I was just going to, take a chance and bet the farm on trying to make my own game. I told myself I'd give it two years. And if I couldn't come up with something after two years, then what's the worst that could happen? I would just, you know, spend some of my savings and just go get a job like, like a normal person. You know, I didn't have like a mortgage or, or children or anything like that. Um, so it seemed pretty low risk for me to do that. That was six years ago at the time of recording back in January of this year. Well, it's funny when two years came around, I was like, it wasn't even a consideration really stop. It was like, well, I'm just going to spend every penny I have to finish this game. It's it, it was a no brainer. It wasn't even a difficult decision. (laughs) 
East Shade is a first-person exploration game where you explore the world of East Shade as a painter as you talk to the folk to learn more about the island as well as help them if and when needed, in addition to being the whole painter thing. One of the inspirations behind East Shade was a game that took the Kickstarter back in 2014 known as Frontiers. It came at a time when Kickstarter projects within the games industry were hitting their peak following the advent of it thanks to Double Fine's efforts in 2012 with Broken Age. And uh, and I saw that, and it was pretty cool. It it was you know it looked kind of like Morrowind in a sense that you could go around and talk to NPCs, and and there was like inventory and everything. And I could already tell that there was like a lot of systems there, and I know that it was just one person at least at the time of um, of the Kickstarter. So I was feeling like, well, geez, if one person can do that, you know, then why why couldn't I do something like that? You may have heard Wineball mention Morrowind there. We'll double back on that, and the Elder Scrolls as a whole, in a moment. But the main aim of East Shade in terms of its visuals and art design is to make it cosy, comfortable, warm. This is something that immediately comes across when seeing the game. Not even necessarily playing the game, but just seeing the game. In fact, full disclosure, I've only watched the game today thanks to a really good friend streaming it during a period last year. But even during that stream, the first thing that immediately came across was just how welcoming that world was. When I mentioned that the wine bomb, well... Well, I take it as a huge compliment, by the way, when you say warm and fuzzy. I mean, that's like, that's my jam right there. That's absolutely the type of thing we're trying to evoke. Um, I don't know. I've just, I've always been sort of like a ponies and rainbow sort of guy. <laughs> like, I, I've just always really liked the the happier side of things the kind of utopic side of things um and i feel like there are so many games that like are dark and gritty and even games that aren't dark and gritty are still dark in a way like i was playing my time at porsche like for the first time i really enjoy the game it's really awesome by the way but it's like i first encountered these colorful llamas that were very cute and very fun and i I was like trying to interact with them in some way and I quickly learned that almost the only way you can interact with them is to punch them to death like just kill them just like execute them and it was such a weird dissonance like I'm killing this colorful llama like what the heck one other inspiration was the late California based artist Thomas Kincaid who died in 2012 Kincaid was known for painting lush real life locations in a very inviting idyllic and comfortable way. As Weinbaum put it, there are some who see Kincaid's paintings as cheesy, but Weinbaum says he sees it differently from that. There is a part of me that looks at that and is like, oh, that's so, I want to be there. That's so quaint. And I guess, you know, I think that every game that, you know, if I have any say in it, will will always have sort of coziness to it. Another aspect to the game's cozy art design is down to embracing it as a high fidelity game and not in a way cartoonish when compared to other wholesome or cozy games like Animal Crossing, Slime Rancher or others. But truth be told, the immediate impression when you first see it for the first time, certainly it was the case for me anyway, is the massive Elder Scrolls vibes it gives off. When I did first see it, it made me think of Skyrim as I tell Wineball. And 
Well, it's hard not to describe that as such to him, but there might have been some inadvertent inspiration that the Elder Scrolls series has given off those vibes with East Shade. I don't know, I've, I've always felt like Elder Scrolls has always felt very peaceful and cozy to me, even though you're going around killing stuff. I guess the kind of disconnect is that you are going around killing stuff and like 90% of the population in an Elder Scrolls world is, is literally a bandit trying to kill you, which, you know, <laughs> seems like it wouldn't be that cozy, but there's enough sort of negative space in the game that you feel those cozy moments. And I guess just because I like Elder Scrolls games so much, some of that sort of art style... The sort of high fidelity, kind of realistic, um, kind of bleeds through in the art style of East Shade, and I don't know if it helps us or hurts us because it does seem like it might confuse people. Like you were saying, you know, you you couldn't really wrap your your mind around the game immediately just because you were wondering, you know, where where's the combat or what what's the combat going to be like because it looks like an Elder Scrolls game, and then sometimes people think oh it's like a walking sim then if there's no combat it's like well no it's not a walking sim because it it has you know very definite like mechanical loops in it you know um maybe if we had gone with something more where the sort of coziness and cuteness matched what you'd be doing in the game maybe it would be sort of easier to market to people i'm I'm not sure though as i tell winebaum it's not even so much on my bunch of questions it's not even on my list it's literally on the tip of my tongue when talking about the visual palette of the game, Skyrim. And going by what he tells me, I'm not the only person to have made the Elder Scrolls comparison, at least. You know, it's so funny. I don't, I don't even know why that is because, like, I have a big reference folder, and there is no Skyrim or really any Elder Scrolls screenshots in them, at all. And I don't really know what it is specifically that makes Ishe look like it. It definitely does. Like, obviously, too many people say that for it not to be true. But, um, like, the trees don't really look like Skyrim's trees. The the architecture doesn't, if you, you know, look at the, at the actual, like, forms of the architecture, it doesn't really look like either Oblivion or Skyrim's architecture. But nonetheless you know it seems to ring bells for everyone so there must be very something very deeply embedded into my dna now that is like making things subtly you know elder scrolls and everything i I do i don't know i don't know what it is Weinbaum's work-life balance is something that's worth noting here. Not just necessarily for the fact this is something I referenced in the first episode of Press Play with other tales interactive and the making of TikTok, but also frankly for the fact that as I talk to Weinbaum, it's 10am GMT. That makes it 2am US Pacific time in Seattle where he's based. That was something that caught me out when I was trying to make arrangements for the interview with Weinbaum and the game's publicist. Let's be honest. 2am is not the best time to be working in most cases. He says, writing the script in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, okay, so that that's something weird, though, because the, I, I have the, like, I, I just woke up. 
<laughs> if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, it's super weird. I have like a cyclical like sleep schedule where I stay up later and later every day until I'm like going to bed in the middle of the next day. <laughs> and then I st keep staying up later until I've like fully cycled through an entire day. I know this is totally crazy. Um, but, and that has nothing to do with me working too much. That just has to do with I don't know, maybe it is because I'm in front of a computer and like my brain thinks it's like daytime or something, but um, <laughs> that just <laughs> seems to be what works best for, I really enjoy that sleep schedule, but um, so don't worry, I'm not, you know, staying up super late for the, <laughs> for the interview or anything. But as he makes clear to me, if he's working on something at a certain time, it's not because he's forced to. It's because he wants to. It's so different for me because, like, I'm indie, you know? Like, if I want to work a lot on something, then it's my own choice. And every hour I put in is going into a product that's going to make money. And, you know, it's up to me how many, how fast I want to finish that or, or how I want to divvy it up. It's totally different when you're on salary and a company basically just gives you work that you wouldn't be able to finish in a 40 hour work week, you know, within the time. And then you just end up working a lot. That's totally different. And especially when you don't get paid overtime for it. Um, you know, that's a whole different ball game. I feel like it's, I feel like all of the work-life balance stuff that, that people are talking about it. I don't really feel it's applicable to my situation. My partner, um, this is soon to be my wife. Um, she works with me on, on the games as well. And, and, you know, they're, they're both of our games. So like, we're not cracking the whip on each other trying to like, you know, we, we work as much as we want to. So, um, it's, it's pretty nice in that sense. East Shade released a little over a year ago in February 2019 on PC, following the release a few years earlier of Leaving Lindo, a short spin-off that is set within the world of East Shade in 2017. It subsequently launched on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One a few months later in October 2019. Now, East Shade Studios, named after the game, as Weinball alluded to in his intro at the top of the episode, is already looking ahead to its next adventure and next project. For one, when delving into why choosing Eastshade as the studio name, Weinbaum tells Play Diaries there will be no Eastshade 2. It, well, it's funny because our, our next game, and I, I haven't really said this anywhere, but our next game is not going to have anything to do with Eastshade. It's not going to look like Eastshade um, in, in any way at all. So we'll see how that goes if people are going to be upset about that. Um, but as, as far as the studio name, I honestly, I was just too lazy to come up with a second name. And it just seems like why make people learn two names if you know we're going to be working on east shade for the next whatever uh five years then might as well just make people only learn one name right like if they see east shade and they know east shade then they'll see east shade studios they'll know exactly what game it goes to um and then once we move on from east shade then our studio name will just be as as random as anyone else's studio name right like it won't be linked to the game um We'll, we'll see if that confuses people. Surely, as I put it to him, the branding of the studio leaves the door open even slightly ajar to go back. 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if we will, though. I know, and that might disappoint some people. I people so many people ask me ask me about Ishay too. I I usually don't answer them because I don't want to poop on their parade so thoroughly. But I can't really picture um, making another Ishay a game set in Ishay world. I I don't really like the idea of carrying the baggage of like many of the decisions we made about Ishay and even about the lore and the way the characters looked and everything. You know, they were specific for that game. And um, I feel like we even made some mistakes for sure with with the style of the character, with the character specifically. And I'm not really sure I would want to carry that baggage into another big game and try to correct it and make it weird, like a weird disconnect between the, the two games or try to explain away. We already had some of that with Leaving Lindo because everyone in Leaving Lindo had like face masks because I didn't want to do lip sync. <laughs> and then in E-Shade, um, we took off the face mask because lip sync turned out to be pretty easy and I was kind of dumb for not doing it. And it just really creeped people out um, with the face masks. So then we had to make some like dumb lore reason as to why people stop wearing the face masks. Um, stuff like that I just wouldn't really want to deal with. So um, I think that we made our last E-Shade game. So what exactly is the reasoning for not doing E-Shade 2 then? Uh, just because just I wouldn't, I don't want to just the, like I was saying, the decisions we made for E Shade, I feel like, especially with the characters, I'd be most concerned about. I don't think I would want to make another game with characters that looked like E Shade. I think the style we chose to do for them really creeped a lot of people out, and um, we. I think we would want to go with something. If we did do another game that had an art style like E Shade, the characters would be more um, like like stylized. Like they'd be more like they could be realistically rendered, but they would be more like frog and toad. Like they're like kind of cute, but like quaint too. They can, they can have people clothes, but um, not, not like what we did, which was perfectly humanoid bodies with literally an animal head just popped right onto the top. Um, I think that turned a lot of people off from the game and, and it was a missed opportunity, especially considering the game was so much about the people. Like it was a very lively world, which is of something that's very hard to do, especially as an indie developer and something that, would absolutely have separated us from all the walking sims, you know, to show that all the characters and that they're all fully voiced and you can talk to them. Um, so I think that we would definitely go in a different style with that. In terms of the mistakes made from the development of East Shade, Weinbaum says one of the big ones was performance optimization. He says he did quite a bit on that aspect as it was, but he admits that he could have done even more on that front. The other big one was its characters, not in terms of its execution, but rather the style it went for. To be clear, the, I think that the execution of them was, was very good. Um, Daniel Murtakeri, our, our character artist, I think did an amazing job. Um, but I just think that the the sort of style that we chose to do was kind of a mistake. In regards to the lessons Weinbaum and Eastgate Studios is taking into the next game, Weinbaum has not only managed to program more efficiently as a result, but has also learned how to handle more businessy aspects that he didn't quite do before. From a business perspective, I would definitely be looking to... Um, we, did, we did have a, a porting partner, and um, 
they did an amazing job but I would have I think if we did it again I would put even more on their plate like I'd leave them to actually manage the account with the platform and they would effectively act as our publisher for just the consoles for the PC it's pretty it's pretty nice working with um, working with Steam but the consoles are a lot more of a headache I guess so yeah I, that's one thing it's kind of a boring businessy <laughs> businessy one there for the next game from Eastshade Studios it's going to look totally different from what Eastshade was Weinbaum tells Play Diaries it'll have a top down overview and be very stylized it also won't have combat but it will be fully voiced as well and it'll be a lively world full of characters which I think for me is kind of the beating heart of what the kind of games that we want to make um, when I say we I mean like my partner and I um, and our composer as well uh, Phoenix Glendinning we the three of us kind of you know those are the kind of games we want to make games that are filled with with people you know like lively worlds because those are I feel like that itself is a unique is a is a very unique marketing point like our game is fully voiced and it has over 50 characters if you list the amount of games that are fully voiced with over 50 characters that is already such a short list you know like typically a game that has full voice might have like five characters or something it won't be like a a world full of characters there's a city and you can talk to every little villager in the city and they all have their own story and they all have their own voice um that alone i think kind of sets us apart so it doesn't really matter i feel like everything else that changes around the game as long as we're making it and of course games that are non-violent as well um you know where the where the core loop is focused on something other than killing people um that immediately will also make us kind of stand apart but there is one aspect of his shade it is bringing it over to the next game that comfortable cozy wholesome nature to it that is defining and will define his shade studio's identity definitely a place that you would want to live always a place you want to live and not not a dangerous place i guess
Press Play is hosted, written and produced by me, Johnny Cullen. Hello. Special thanks to Charlie and the Bruin, as well as Rebecca Valentine, who I also apologise to for delivering the news on the lack of an East Shade 2. Press Play is a podcast by PlayDiaries.com, a website that focuses on telling interesting and unique stories about video games on both the AAA and indie level, as well as culturally and taking a look at them in a different, critical way. I originally promised the next episode of Press Play would be on the Irish games industry, but a lot of recent factors have held up production on that front recently. You can probably guess the biggest one. But that is definitely the next episode, and it's coming very soon. For more details on that and more, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Play Diaries. You can also support us by becoming a patron to our Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. $2 a month gets you in on the ground level, while $4 a month gets you 24-hour exclusivity on every new episode of every future Play Diaries podcast, with more press play on the way, such as the aforementioned upcoming episode on the Irish games industry, as well as new episodes of my favourite game before they all go live publicly on Play Diaries. Every dollar is truly appreciated as it will help firm up future plans that are currently on the works for the site. And for more stuff like this in future, both in podcast and written form, visit PlayDiaries.com. Thanks very much for listening.